Welcome back to Spiritual Directors Talking About Stuff. Today, Chris and I are so excited to share a conversation that we had with his friend, Mary, and two of her friends, Crystal and Chris. Chris, tell us a little bit about your relationship with Mary. Yeah, Mary and I go way back. (laughs) I met Mary uh, in two churches ago, and um, gosh, this was 12 years ago now, I guess. And and so I've known Mary and her husband, Doug, and and their family for quite a while. Um, But I, I watched how, because... Mary and Doug adopted a um, a child from Ethiopia. I watched this process that they went through over the last several years in grappling with what it means to be a minority in America. And so they r- took some concrete steps in their lives to to kind of change their their situation. They moved to a different part of town that was more diverse. Um, Mary really dug into being being um, a white ally to minorities. And she has just really taken on um, a lot of um, a lot of leadership in that and part of, of of the church. And so I wanted to get her on to talk about what she's been through and what she has, is doing now. And she said, "Why don't I bring some more of my friends in who are also who are black, and so that we can have a conversation with them too?" And I said, "That's great." So we we found time. We we had a good long conversation. I think it was over two hours. And so. I guess that means that this will be a multi-part episode, but um, it's uh, it's a really important conversation that that we need to have. And but we wanted to hear from from Black people about what kind of things they've experienced and and what their life has been like in the church, especially. And um, it's it was really um, eye-opening and and it was good for for us to have that conversation. And especially over the past year and a half with the pandemic, that this has always been an issue, but the fact that the pandemic kind of slowed people down in order to think deeply about about race relations in America. And, and so I think it's very important that we're having this conversation. And Chris, you and I are both white people, and we can have conversations all day, every day with uh, members of the black community and uh, we will still never fully understand what it means to be black in America, but understanding the best that we can, their story and come alongside them to be an ally um, and to be uh, models of unity and reconciliation, you know, and love. Cause I think that's probably the most important thing is how do we love each other and uh, be unified celebrate diversity, but be unified in loving kindness toward one another. Totally agreed. So I hope you enjoyed this episode with uh, my friend Mary and her two friends, Chris and Crystal. So we had a lot of Chris's in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Also, we recorded this episode as a video as well. So this podcast will be two episodes, but if you don't want to wait for the second part to be released, go to the YouTube link in the show notes to watch the entire conversation. I hope you really enjoy it. Let us know what you think. We really would love to hear from you. Our, Our email address will also be in the show notes. I'm really excited about uh, this episode today. Uh, for one thing, it, it's a very important topic. And, and two, it's been in the planning for quite a while. 
um, I reached out to my friend, Mary, who is here with us today and began discussions about setting up an episode talking about race and um, within the context of the church. Um, Mary, that was three months ago uh, to the day, actually. And over the last three months, we have talked about topics and guests, and finally, we're here recording today. Um, so uh, really glad that we were able to arrange this conversation. And um, I also would like to let all of our listeners know that we are recording the video also today, which we don't normally do. But since we have so many people on this discussion, we decided we would um, to record the video so that everyone can see people's faces as they talked. So if you're listening to the audio, um, check the show notes and we'll have a link in there somewhere to where we uh, place the video that you can watch. But one thing that I have uh, paid attention to in just the last year plus with the pandemic and uh, having the space to uh, begin to have really important conversations with uh, people in the community and in my neighborhood and um, with uh, even with the church and to see which churches are having conversation around social justice, social equity. Um, there's a lot of different terms for the important um I guess elevation that we, is that even the right word to say that we want to, I don't even, oh my gosh, see, I, this is, uh, this is why this topic is so important because if we really want to, as um, a white person myself, to uh, truly be an ally um, in, in the world, then this is why we need to have these conversations. So um, Christopher, I know that you are going to introduce our amazing guests, but Crystal and Chris and Mary, we're just grateful that you are willing to uh, um, help us ignorant white folk just, <laughs> just be a, a better human being. So we're just grateful for your time today. And I would love for all of you to speak into this, but we also know that we are not going to always say, <clears throat> we're not always going to say the right thing, but I hope that you can trust that our hearts are wanting to be in the right place. And so we also know that um, a lot of uh, people are asking these questions. And so um, I'm not sure the best way to say this, but just thank you ahead of time for your grace and for being willing to help us become more educated to be better human beings. So uh, um, just thank you. Maggie, it's Crystal. I think we just need to assume best intention and then create safe space for people to say it however you need to say it, to ask whatever needs to be asked. Um, I would ask for the freedom to be able to answer honestly. Awesome. Um, we need to filter kind of sanction what those responses would be. So we're in agreement on that point. And I think there's no right way to have this conversation. It's important that we have it. So thank you for that. No, no thank you. Yeah. Great. All right. So let me just introduce uh, who we have here with us today. Uh, first of all, we have Chris Battle. Um, Chris is a native of Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, he did his undergraduate studies at Morehouse College in Atlanta, and he furthered his education with a Master's of Divinity at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He would later get a Master's of Arts in Hebrew Bible at Cincinnati Bible College. He has pastored congregations in Bowling Green, Kentucky, Hackensack, New Jersey, Cincinnati, Ohio, and Knoxville, Tennessee. In 2018, his life trajectory changed when he began a community garden and started understanding the effect of food disparity 
in his community. This led to the creation of multiple community gardens, the Eastside Sunday Market, and Battlefield Farm and Gardens. He's presently the lead pastor of Underground Collective, and he and his wife, Tama, are the parents of 20 children. So thank you for being with us, Chris. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Great. Also, we have with us today, Crystal Armstrong Brown, um, passionate about equity, justice, and inspiring the next generation of kingdom thinkers. Crystal has served in nonprofits, ministries, and educational institutions across the country for 15 years. She is a writer and consultant, currently completing her MBA in leadership while working as the VP of Program Development for Emerald Youth Foundation in Knoxville, Tennessee. She spends her weekends in urban ministry, cheering on the UT Vols, and creating adventures and memories with her three-year-old daughter, Karis. Welcome, Crystal. So glad to be a part of this group and a part of the conversation. Thank you again for having me. You're welcome. And finally, we have with us Mary McMillan Terry. Um, Mary's desire to follow Christ in fighting racism led her and her family to the multi-ethnic Knoxville community where they live. She teaches on justice and racism. Her passion for equity and education has led her to volunteer and serve on the board at Shora Foundation, an after-school and summer program for children, and to serve in her children's school system. She also loves hiking with her spouse and two sons and writing. Her poetry, nonfiction, and fiction have appeared in small press journals and books. Thank you for coming on today, Mary. Thank you, it's good to be here. Yeah, and thank you for helping us um, kind of pull together all of this and, and arrange this conversation. We're really grateful. Well, let me start out just asking, um, I guess, let's start out with you, Chris. And can you tell us a little bit about your backstory and kind of especially, especially with regards to the church? Well, it's interesting that you asked me that on today um, it just hit me a couple of hours ago. I preached my first official sermon 40 years ago today. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm getting old. Um, so, yeah, I, um, I grew up in church. I grew up Baptist. Um, you know, I, I was the one that was saying Baptist born, Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. I guess I lied. Um, <laughs> um, and as you said in the introduction, um, I had a, the tra trajectory of my life changed in 2018. I was expecting to um, retire from pulpit preaching, you know, whenever that was going to be. Um, but something happened um, actually in, in 08 when I moved here to Knoxville. Um, moved here to Knoxville, um, came from a church in Cincinnati that was socially conscious. Um, and we were, I had decided that we were going to clean a cemetery that was right across the street from our church. Um, it was significant because this was an African-American cemetery. Most of the people buried there were born in slavery. And it was a mess, overgrown, headstones turned over. And so about 30 of us got up one fall morning, we started cleaning it. We're raking, we're lawn mowing, we're, we're we're a chainsaw and we're putting headstones back. We got bags and bags of debris in the corner of the, um, of the cemetery. And this brother pulls up in a uh, pickup truck and he starts thanking us for what we're doing. 
he's going on and on and on, just um, getting reminiscent about uh, how he used to walk through there to go to school. And he's just going on and on and on, thanking us, giving us all kind of accolades and applause. And me coming out of church growth, um, you know, hey, I need to get his butt in my pew. So what do I do as a good, good Baptist? I say, hey, brother, won't you come join us at the church? And I'll never forget these words that he said to me. And they have haunted me uh, for the last, what, 13 years now. He looked me dead in the eye and he goes, I'm not coming to your damn church. And he pulled off. And I was mad at him for cussing the church. Then I got mad at the church for deserving to be cursed. And I realized that there is a movement away from the church. I was born and raised in church. I, I you know, my, my parents met at church. I didn't know anything but church. Um, but then when he said that to me, it sparked something in me that said, well, then maybe we need to do church differently because people aren't coming to our churches across denominational lines, across racial lines, churches, well, at least the brick and mortar churches are dying. And I said, we need to do something, uh, begin to do something different, at least in the back of my mind. And I did not know what that was because I'm, I'm a baby boomer, you know, I know, I know it's church. And, I'm, and I did not know what that was and I'm still searching for it. But um, as I said, the trajectory of my life changed in 2018 and I started a community garden. And in the three or four months that I was doing that garden, I met more people in the community than I did in the 10 years I had been sitting in my office in my church. And now that I got a farm going here, little acre farm, uh, we call it Battlefield Farm, where we're fighting food disparity here in East Knoxville. Um, I meet people here that never would have broken the threshold of my Baptist church. I meet all types of people, people who don't share my, um, my theological positions, my political positions, people who are atheists, um, people, white people. <laughs> we have, I have a lesbian couple that comes all the time. They share uh, at the garden, but they never would have come to my church. And so when people ask me now where my church is, I say, you're in it. You know, so that that's kind of my story in a nutshell, um, is that I realize that in if we are going to do church differently, I think all we have to do is learn how to be the church in our daily walk. And I'll stop there. Yeah. Amen, brother. Um, so let me move on over to Crystal now. Can you also tell us a, your story of um, your story with the church? Sure. Um, similar to Chris, I grew up in the church, um, was the quintessential church kid, um, the daughter of a black Pentecostal pastor. So five out of seven days out of the week, you would find us in the church building, um, made the rotation of doing everything from ushering to singing in the choir. Um, so it was a part of my formation um, as a person, um, really. It was a place where I found community, um, where we had extended family and people who loved us, uh, where I started exploring gifts and talents um, and where those things were affirmed. 
Um, I went to college about three years. Well, I went to <laughs> college about three hours away from home um, and had decided as a preacher's kid that I was kind of tired of living by the rules um, in our church tradition. Holiness was the expectation. That was a catchphrase. So um, grew up with a very kind of rule-based, don't do this kind of theology and with fear literally of consequences. And so in leaving home, just decided that I was going to live my best life and that I just wanted to be normal. I remember that being uh, my prayer at the time, God, I, I just want to be normal. Um, so the second day that I was on the campus of the University of Tennessee, uh, one of the campus pastors who oversaw one of the student ministries stopped me as a stranger on the sidewalk and said, nothing about you is normal. And God told me that that was your plan in coming to this campus, but he has a different plan for you. Um, and so I'm standing there in a puddle of tears outside of my dorm, talking to this stranger. Um, he let me know then that God had a plan for me. Um, and so I was active in college ministry, um, still living my best life, but not as well as I intended it to be, um, and accepted a call in the ministry in my senior year. I struggled through what that meant because I grew up in denominations where women weren't called to pastoral ministry or to leadership. Um, so I was blessed to find mentorship and a pastor here in Knoxville um, who walked me through not only that call, but a deeper understanding of the word of God and what it means to, um, to be a part of the kingdom and to seek the kingdom first. Um, so I served here as a part of a church plant in what is probably the largest African-American congregation now in Knoxville um, as a youth and young adult pastor for almost a decade. Um, I got married, uh, my career took off, continued to grow. Um, and so I left Knoxville and actually went to Chicago and to Virginia and moved from being front and center and kind of in the core of ministry all of my life um, to not having a place or a church home or a church community. So knew no one in the move to Chicago, knew no one in the move to Virginia um, and started seeking what I thought was gonna be a church home, which meant finding places to visit, talking to strangers and seeing where they were worshiping or just kind of driving around the city and stopping. Um, so about six months into that search for a church home, um, sitting in the back pews, um, being welcomed in some places and not in other places, I decided to take advantage of the opportunity for the first time in my life to not be in the front and not be in the core and to live the experience of what it's like for people who are seeking their place and who are asking questions and who want to belong. Um, so for the past probably five to six years, I've been journeying and have visited about 200 churches, um, different faith traditions, different denominations, intentionally to really get a picture of what the kingdom looks like um, in all of its aspects and facets and capacities. And so uh, for me, the church is multicultural and it's multi-ethnic and it's multi-generational and it's beautiful um, in its diversity. And so that's where I am now. Um, the pandemic gave me the opportunity to not just do it locally, but to do it nationally, internationally. So I've run into the opportunity that technology has given us to drop into worship and to hear sermons and, and songs and be a part of community with people around the world. 
Um, and so my point of view on church and what it can be has been expanded as a result of that. Uh, personally, a few years ago, I also walked through a divorce and included an escape from um, psychological abuse. And it caused me to reflect on abuse in multiple contexts, including within the church, um, and led me on a journey of what I now understand to be deconstruction. So uh, for the first time, I ran into writers like Richard Rohr and James Fowler and started really thinking about spiritual formation and second half of life as Rohr would describe it. And so I think I'm really moving towards um, out of the grief of um, the rules and the boxes that formal religion um, and Christianity and church tradition had put me in towards a more universal faith um, and a more universal of understanding of kingdom and our responsibilities to one another and the opportunities that we find in relationship with God. So freedom has been fun. Um, and I'm learning what liberty is. And um, I think that my place in leadership in the church will be speaking to that and encouraging others and inviting them um, along that journey too. So that's where I am. Love the church um, and think of it as the big C and beyond any local congregations and have seen that um, through my own journey and experience across the country. I, so I grew up um, not necessarily in the church, but um, attending a United Methodist um, church. And then I, um, what I would describe as came to know the Lord at, um, in college. And um, that, all of that was from a very sort of um, just mostly monocultural background. Like my church was white, my um, body of believers at Chapel Hill was white. Um, when I moved to Knoxville to go to grad school, my, my additional body of believers was um, white. And um, I really didn't have a life that, that, um, that sort of um, recognized that, if that's a way to say that, um, until my husband and I struggled with um, infertility. And in um, 2012, we were blessed with, well, in 2011, we were blessed with the birth of a son in um, um, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And um, Leo, um, we joined Leo in family. He joined our family, however, um, different ways to say it. And um, we, as he was coming home, um, coming um, as we were being united as a family, um, we were walking through the airport. Um, it was in Dulles in Washington, D.C. at the end of February in 2012. And um, those of us who remember, um, that was on all of the monitors were um, the pictures of young Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman. And um, here I am, a very, very white woman um, with a, married to a very white man and um, we have a baby who is black. And um, it was that moment really for me. And then I um, had a friend who um, led kind of a lament, um, a yoga lament service on Market Square in my city and um, after that. And I just had to kind of grieve for a long time about the country that I thought I was a part of, about the trajectory that I thought I was on um, as a human being is really probably the way I would have couched it and as a Christian, um, but that really changed um, at that point. And um, I recognized that um, I could, um, well, then I started reading because that's what I do. I, I'm an English teacher by trade and I started reading like crazy. And about a year into that, I recognized that I could read from now until when I die or from then until I die. 
And I wouldn't know what it's like to be a black person in this country that I've, the only country I've ever called home. So um, yeah, it sort of led my family and I to move to a more um, integrated um, neighborhood. And um, then later my children to attend um, a much more multiracially uh, or multi-ethnically and racially diverse school system. Um, but I think, I think this, and this is the last thing I'll say just sort of about, um, so all of that, like those were kind of social moves, but they were also spiritual moves for me. So um, I was teaching in a predominantly white private school last year and I, <laughs> I felt the disconnect prominent in my heart um, because by that point, so this was 2020 and 21 from 2012. And, um, and I, in my heart, I said, you know, some of the most important things for me as a Christian now are love my neighbor, and of course, then the question is, who's my neighbor? And Jesus dispensed with all sort of questions of that by um, choosing the Samaritan, someone who was multi-ethnically, who was different ethnically from um, his Jewish audience. And, um, and, and um, to love my neighbor, to grieve with those who grieve and rejoice with those who rejoice, and that God loves the poor. And um, those aspects of my faith um, just didn't have a lot of play in in the circumstance that I found myself last year. And that was really, the circumstance I found myself in last year was really a good characterization of how my life was prior to 2012. So um, I recognized my discontent and um, I, um, I think one common thing and sort of following along with that, that I hear in Chris's story and I hear in Crystal's story and I, I recognize it in my own story is um, to allow our lives to be changed right, as believers. Um, one of my favorite quotes comes from this weird spiritual formation book and it, um, by this guy named David Benner, and it says, God comes to us disguised as our lives. And I believe that so deeply that as we walk through, as I walk through this life, um, there are gonna be those divine moments when, you know what, I just kind of have to drop my plans, kind of have to, oh, oh, I'm a white person. and. <laughs> This is not an equitable or a biblical way to live. I'm centering that. Um, so yeah, that's all I have to say in terms of my history with the church. Um, one thing that I heard in all three of your stories is, um, which is actually something that Chris said, but I heard it with Crystal and Mary as well, talking about being neighbors and loving those around you and, um, and seeing it the the kingdom the capital c church as um as every person and so uh one thing that chris said was he's moving toward learning what it's like to what it means to be the church and uh, so i'd love to hear a little bit about uh from each of you about what that has meant to you uh what what that phrase to be the church means and um and yeah what that looks like for you well, I think in a nutshell for me, um, I always thought you measured your faith your by how many times you went to church a week. <laughs> um, you know, it was all those little check boxes that you marked off. I paid my tithes. I went to Sunday school. I went to Bible study. Um, I didn't go to sleep during the sermon, da 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 um, So I was good for that week. But it wasn't transforming the community. It wasn't, I don't even know if it was transforming me. Um, I don't, I didn't see, 
I didn't see a better world as a result of it. And I see all these churches and all our, all these communities, and yet the communities aren't growing. They're 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 getting worse. Um, there's more drugs. The divorce rate is not getting any lower. Um, you know, they're they're and they're, this our children are still being miseducated. There's still food disparity. Why? You know, why? Why is so? It dawned on me that again, just going to a building does not transform community. Just going to a building a couple hours a week does not make a significant impact on communities. And, and I'm, I'm just convinced that our churches ought to look like our communities. And if the church doesn't look like our community, then our church isn't thriving. I don't care how many members you have. Um, and so that, that's what it means to me. It means to literally be Christ wherever I am. To uh, the model, the, the, the mission statement of our church is uh, to cultivate shalom wherever we are, you know. And, and so wherever we are, you know, if I'm in the grocery store, if I'm, if I'm here at the farm, if I'm in McDonald's, if I'm at home, if I'm at the park, wherever, I have to be that light in this world of darkness. And it doesn't mean I'm going to come to you with my four spiritual laws, you know, do you know that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? I, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't mean going through all that. It just means living a life that God would be pleased with, others will witness and I believe ultimately, if we live that life, they will come to say, hey, why do you do what you do? That's why I, try, I, I like the sermon that Michael Frost preaches. It's called The Questionable Life. And he says, we ought to live our lives so people will question why we do what we do. And that's our evangelism. That's, our, that's the beginning of our discipleship. So they'll ask, and then we can give them that response, share the gospel, or continue to walk with people and develop relationships. What about you, Crystal? What does it be the church mean to you? Um, I would like to speak to it kind of personally. Um, I think coming out of a Black church tradition was so formative. Um, again, if you think about the Black church historically and the conditions of its creation, it was a space um, for slaves who could not worship um, and were not allowed into white church spaces um, to be able to have community um, and to look forward to sing about and to hear messages about um, what it would mean one day to be redeemed. Um, so to look forward to a freedom from oppression um, while also hearing messages um, about continuing to follow the rules. Um, and so I think there are ongoing themes of those two threads that have continued as a part of the foundations of Black church life. Um, a continually looking forward to freedom and to justice and to equality, um, to things being made right in our lives and in our communities. Um, while also hearing messages about not sinning and not getting out of line, um, being good people um, that are the two kind of things that you hear over and over again in sermons. And so for me, being church was 
coming into an understanding of the finished work of the cross and that liberty and freedom and justice and equality are not just things that I look forward to, but they are things that Christ brought and that I have the ability now, right now, to walk in the fullness of. Um, so it has been a journey for me to recognize that um, and to um, affirm that in myself and in other marginalized people that even if our world doesn't look that way, um, even if our conditions or our circumstances doesn't look like, like that, um, the way God intended, that Christ has finished that work and we have the ability to walk into it um, fully right now. <laughs> so being the church for me in part was just recognizing and waking up to an awareness of sonship um, so knowing that God loves me, that he loves people who look like me, that he has people who are in my same class and position and community, um, just like he loves everybody else and, um, privileging sonship and understanding that above servanthood, above, um, obligation, above work, um, that church is not just something you do and not just something you go to, but it really is who I am, it's who we are, it's who we were created to be, and um, living out of that finished work and out of that picture of what God intended, out of um, the garden and what God created and what was reinstituted in Christ, um, even if that means we have to do work to make it look that way, um, it's a, a recognition and an awareness that that's what's supposed to be and that that's how God already sees me and already how he sees his, his kingdom at work. So um, it was an awakening to uh, my place within that and um, seeking out now others who, who want to do the same thing, who want to create in earth and in our communities um, a kingdom that looks like what God intended. That's beautiful. Um, so... You know, since since this uh, particular episode, we're want um, to talk about race within the context of the church. Can we kind of bring it around now to you know, hear your your two your stories about um, where you know where race has come in to your experience with the church? Kind of, we'll leave it open ended, however you want to approach it. But um, can we can we talk about that a little bit now? And maybe we start out with uh, Chris. Sure. Um... <laughs> Let's see. When George Floyd died, was murdered. I got more calls from my white church friends than I've ever received in my life. Um, it was almost exhausting. And the question kept arising, Chris, what can we do? What can we do? And it was almost to the point where I was getting angry at the question. Because to ask me what we can do about racism is to me like asking the rape victim what to do with the rapist. Racism is not the black man's problem. We're the victims of racism. And I believe the church, and I, and, and I hate to say this, but I think we need to specify black church, white church in, in this, in this, in this um, scenario. 
I think the white church very in, in a lot of cases, and I don't want to just generalize, but I think the white church has failed to either accept the fact that racism is systemic and real um, or fail to accept the fact that even if you did not own slaves or didn't grow up in Jim Crow, that you still receive the benefits of privilege of being white. And I think the, the other thing that exhausted me was the fact that I need white folks, and I'm and I'm and I, I don't want to. I, I need white Christians, since you asked about the church. <laughs> I need white Christians to stop thinking that just praying and worshiping together is going to stop racism. It it doesn't. It's much deeper than us sitting next together, sitting together in church. I tell folk all the time, you calling me the N word is not racism. That's just the fact that you're a jerk, okay? But the reason I have to live in a certain community is racism. The reason you see me, or the reason that our documents say that I was three-fifths of a person is, is, is the racism. The reason you will not allow critical race theory to be taught in our schools, that, that's what I'm talking about. These things that minimize the humanity of black folk, that's racism. It's not just the fact that we can worship together, we can pray together, but don't, but you dare not come home. My white daughter dare not come home with a black boyfriend. I think we got to really realize that it's much deeper than that. Racism is a socially manufactured thing that God never ordained that was created by white men to enslave to and to, to enslave black Africans that's why it was created it's socially manufactured and we have spiritualized it if you will I think the white church in many ways has spiritualized it to make you think that you know to do it the white way is to do it the right way. And I think that's what frustrates me with, with, with white churches. The fact that uh, what I just said about the terms of privilege um, and not utilizing and, and the, for some reason this belief that racism is not systemic. I'm sorry if I'm going, if I'm ranting, but. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. That, I mean, I, completely understand what you're saying because you know I myself growing up in, in a white church it's all about individual salvation individual sanctification individual this that and the other and you know the implication is as long as that individual sanctification continues then this other stuff like systemic racism will will get fixed kind of as an ancillary part of the situation which which obviously is not true as you um, so clearly stated so Anyway, um, Crystal, let's move over to you. Yeah, I just want to echo what you just said, because I think that is a difference that probably needs to be lifted and talked about a little bit more. Um, I think we need to start in the garden. Um, I think we need to start with Genesis 2 and talk about 
God's intention um, in coloring us in differently. Um, so when you talk about race and the church, um, the first point that I would make is that all of us, no matter what race, ethnicity, gender, um, play a part in reflecting the image of God, right? Like that was intentional in terms of his decision um, that there would be difference, there would be diversity um, and the race itself is a social construct. It is now our reality in terms of how it's lived out. Um, so we don't have a full picture of the kingdom. You are missing out on an experience of an aspect of who God is if the only people you worship with, if the only people you talk to, if the only people who have ever been invited to your home look like you. Um, so God created diversity. Um, I believe that he honors and that he wants to see diversity. Um, and so the question is what happened in our humanity that turned the diversity and what I believe was God's intention related to equality into superiority and inferiority and into the creation of hierarchy, um, which makes race, um, along with distinctions in gender, along with distinctions in ethnicity or language or accent, all about power and resources. So in this country, um, you have the conflation of whiteness and property ownership and capitalism with Christianity, right? All of those things went together to form a white national identity. Um, and so when I think about discourses over the last year, especially in political context and what's come out of that, I hear things that have existed in this nation for the last 400 years about a return to structures of power um, around things that are happening in race that are really about resources and power. Um, and that invoke Christianity, right? Invoke the name of Christ, hold up Bibles um, while walking through protests and take photo ops, um, invoking that image in a way that conflates it with whiteness and with wealth. Um, so I have struggled, just to be honest and transparent, the last couple of years when we talk about evangelicism um, because of the ways that it is not lived up to and um, prioritize the needs of those in the margins and is almost buckled down to protect um, the power and the privilege of those who are white and who have wealth or who aspire to have that wealth. Um, so when I think about race in the church and those experiences, it's really about the need for the church to interrogate why that is, right? Like Sunday is the most segregated day of the week on purpose. And for African-Americans or marginalized communities, there's some resistance to changing it because it's the one place in our country where I'm not looked at as black, right? Like in that space, I'm just me. Um, and I'm with people who understand my experience and um, are praying the same prayers, um, worshiping in the same ways. And so, there is a disruption of that when you have to go into other spaces where the first thing you're perceived as before you're perceived as a child of God, before you're perceived based on your gifts and talents, before you're perceived um, based on your character or your integrity is on the color of your skin. Um, so I would hope one day that the church, Big C Church, gets to the point where we are setting an example for the world in intentionally dismantling hierarchy. Um, and structures that create 
superiority and inferiority or inequitable access to resources and to decision making. Um, but it's got to start with those discussions in our spaces as church people about how those things were created intentionally and then how to dismantle them. And I think once that happens in the body of Christ, where we are all members one to another, um, we can do it in the other spaces where we lead and have influence. So um, I see great opportunity. Um, I still see hope even after the last uh, four years and what has been kind of the national discourse, but it's gonna take some intentionality and um, not waiting on men to have knees on their necks for you know nine minutes in order to people to wake up to what's been a reality in our country for for centuries um so this is a moment um it really is um, we invite those of you who are listening into what has been that ongoing struggle not just for the benefit of african americans or for the benefits of marginalized people but to save your own souls and the souls of the nation. Um, black people for a long time have looked towards the cross as a source of freedom and hope and liberation. Um, and having now visited 200 churches, I see very different messages and hear different messages in white congregations where it is about kind of individual success and um, what you and your family need and then going back and helping out the poor black people or the marginalized and taking care of the least of these. Please never ever use that phrase um, referencing black people or black communities again, because God does doesn't see us as the least, um, but that's the messages in white churches uh, is about going and saving someone else and doing your alms, you know, doing good deeds while black people are still looking collectively for liberation and for hope. And so we've got to meet in the middle. There's got to be some white people who are willing to climb up on the cross um, to give up some power, to give up some resources, to open up some doors of opportunity um, in order to create equity, even as people are trying their best to live abundantly and to climb out of and to lead within the margins. Um, you know, Crystal, you mentioned how, you know, in, in, um, in the churches you grew up in, there was a lot of, a lot of the sermon topics were about, about justice and about liberation, about, um, you know, redemption. And as, as you, you know, that that's not the kind of sermons we heard in the white church a lot. And so I want to kind of hear from your point of view, um, starting with you, Chris, um, what, uh, can you talk a little bit about justice and how you see justice in the church and maybe even how your particular work with, um, with what you're doing now plays into that? Yeah, thank, thanks for that question. Um, I think we, we have a great justice ministry here in, in Knoxville. We're part of the, um, a national organization called DART. And uh, what we have learned is that justice is not done alone. It takes um, organized people to, to, to do justice. And we're based out of Nehemiah 5, um, when the money lenders were beginning to take everything from the people, um, even the, uh, and, and, and taking their children and putting them into slavery. Nehemiah gathers a large assembly together and he addresses them and they um, and they change their ways. And so we believe that there is a means to do justice, um, but it has it can't just be one person or one church petitioning the mayor. Um, I think justice has to come from a, um, a, a wellspring of of 
of um, right-thinking, justice-minded people, if you would. When it comes to racial issues, though, um, I think we have to have these conversations. Um, there are, yes, there are some, I can't make you love me, okay? Um, there has to be legislation, I think, that's going to stop racism. Um, I don't think it's a matter, because it's not a matter of, I don't like you or you don't like me, because racism is not about my individual concern about you or that. It's about the systemic, it's, it's, it's systemic, it's in the system, okay? And so in order to face, deal with the racial issue, you've got to change the system. Okay, and, and I think the church could be a, a great force in making that change, um, but I think the church, a lot of times, are perpetuators of the racism. Um, you know, it's a shame that the Southern Baptists have to go through all that, just, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, and a lot of our conventions can't even make a statement about against racism without a big fight. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Um, and I think because it's so ingrained in a lot of white Christians' minds that God made them white, therefore they're right. And um, they don't see, they don't see uh, race as socially manufactured, but they see it as a, a gift from God. And I think that's going to change that mindset in terms of racial issues, I believe is going to be the biggest struggle that the church is going to face. Um, yeah, so so yeah, so the church injustice, I think we have a long way to go. Um, somebody did a study once um, during um, the civil rights movement, particularly when the, um, um, the four young ladies were killed in Birmingham at the 16th Street bombing. And they compared what, Black preachers were preached, preached that following week with what white preachers preached, uh, or at least in that time period. And most of the black preachers came from the prophets, and most of the white preachers came from the epistles. What does that tell us? Okay. Um, so let justice roll down like waters and righteous like a mighty stream. That wasn't being preached in the, the pulpits of white churches. And so I think our church, the black church has come out of a, um, we were birthed in revolution. We were birthed in this idea that we are equal, you know, and I, I love what Gardner Taylor, the, the great Brooklyn preacher used to say, he said, you know, the, the white preacher was saying, slaves obey your master. But by the time it reached the slaves in the balcony, they were hearing Moses saying, let my people go. And we still have that tension and that tension has to be addressed. And again, I and I'll keep saying this, it's not just gonna change with us worshiping together, praying together. That's a step, but it's gonna have to start with some real hard conversations that are heart to heart and that are real and not so spiritualized that we can't that we can't touch it. 
if that makes sense. So for me, justice defined really simply is a matter of making the wrong things right. Um, so it's about an acknowledgement of wrong and it's also about restitution or correction um, of the wrongs in ways that make reconciliation possible. Um, I think a lot of times when we're talking about justice in the church, especially when you're talking about racial lines, we skip to reconciliation, right? Like he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. We're going to come together. We're going to be brothers and sisters, right? And that sounds great, but we haven't done the prerequisite work that will be required in order to make that real. Um, so for me, justice is what Jesus came to do. And it seems like as the church, we should be able to reach an agreement about Christ. Um, so many people grow up thinking on black and white sides, right, in both communities, that Jesus is this blonde-haired, blue-eyed, Fabio-looking, chiseled guy who came floating on clouds and um, creates wealth for everyone who comes to believe in him, right? That's not the Jesus I know in scripture. Um, he came in a manger, <laughs> born in a barn to an unwed mother um, as a Middle Eastern, at least 10, probably brown skin, described in scripture as bronze um, baby, right? With no power, with no resources, with no voice. Um, and grew up within that culture um, and was introduced at 30 as the son of a carpenter who people said there's no way he can be the king or that he can lead or he can be the one they were waiting on based on what his background is. And so when we talk about prophecy as Christopher was bringing up um, and what that looks like in modern day, it's not just a revivalist who shows up at the church and you, you know, like Oprah says, you're getting the car and you're getting the car and you're getting the house, like biblical prophecy I believe emerges from the margins and it is a call into the reconciliatory work of Christ, of the Holy Spirit that restores what has been lost and what has been broken um, in ways that are healing and are transformative. So um, I just pulled up Luke 4 and it's Jesus making his introduction, right? Preaching his initial sermon, talking about what he came on the earth to do. And he's reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. So he's preaching out of the prophets in his first sermon, in his introduction to the world about who he's going to be um, in his ministry. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. That's why he came and he literally reads that and then he takes the scroll, rolls it back up and sits down. So the work that we're supposed to be doing in the church, all of us, right? In the suburbs, in the urban areas, um, in black communities and white communities in rural communities should be about those things. It's about good news to the poor. It's about freedom for the prisoner. It's about healing and it's about justice and it's about equity. Um, so one of the things that I've observed now in traveling churches is that white churches tend to put themselves and associate themselves in the role of savior. Um, so we have power, we have position, we've achieved what we have individually, and now we can go and save these poor people rather than recognizing the need within themselves for salvation, right? Like, <laughs> you need to be saved 
from the temptation that is greed, right? So Jesus is always challenging people, calling of the first disciples. He gives them great wealth. Um, Peter and those disciples have been toiling. All of a sudden, they have more fish than they can hold. And he says, okay, walk away from that, right? <laughs> like You have a rich young ruler that he says, if you want to enter the kingdom, you need to walk away from that. So the call out of the gospel for some people is walk away from your wealth, walk away from your privilege, deny what comes along as a privilege of your whiteness or of your position so that others can have more so that you can create equity. I don't know that that sermon is being heard in white cultures, in white communities, in white churches, or in places of privilege. I think a lot of times, out of a capitalistic model, churches think they're doing well based on how much they have saved in their bank accounts. When you have people in the same city who are literally struggling with where their next meal is coming from, how how is that possible, right? That your church has a million dollar endowment and there are people living literally 10 minutes away in a minority community who are surviving on less than $10,000 a year. 18% of people in our community, people of color, are making it with their families on less than $10,000 a year. We are responsible for that. And if people think there's not gonna come a day where there will be justice, right? Where there will be judgment for sitting on those types of resources when you have people who are suffering, it's coming. And so in those ways, I see some proximity um, in a marginalized life and in that experience to what Christ actually came to do that I think our white brothers and sisters, especially those of means and resources, need to listen to and need to learn from um, as a part of your own salvific journeys. Um, so um, justice for me is about that. It's about meeting in the middle and sharing, right? Like that's what happens with the church in Acts. They hold all things in common. Everyone has what they need. Um, and so out of scripture, if we're looking at scripture and not that conflation of property ownership and Christianity and maleness and whiteness, um, if we're looking at scripture and what was created originally out of Christ's example and out of the first church, right? then it is about equality and it's about equity in resources, equity in position and an opportunity and a real care for neighbor um, that creates community and creates the type of bonds that I think God intended for us when he described us as, as members of one another.